Hello and welcome back to the Fail Mary. Wow, what an end to another brilliant NFL season. On Sunday evening, 102 million people sat down to watch Super Bowl 54 where the Kansas City Chiefs faced off against the San Francisco 49ers in Miami. It was a case of perfect passing offense against perfect running offense and two strong defenses also going head to head. And after five hours of brilliant, over-the-top and excessive spectacle, the final result was that the Chiefs ran away with the win, winning 31 to the 49ers 20. In this final show, we will unpack what the Chiefs did right, what the 49ers did wrong, and one more visit to the mailbag. So, for the last time this season, let's go! Earlier in the season, we talked about the importance of not just looking at the statistics for the game, but actually watching them. And I said last week as well that this will be the case. And this game turned out to be an almost perfect example of why it's crucial that you actually watch the game and get a sense for what's gone on. Because statistically, this game was one-sided. The 49ers had better yards per play. They were better at rushing. They got more sacks which usually indicates no success. They had more pressures per play. They were 10 points up in the fourth quarter. Jimmy Garoppolo, up until midway through the fourth quarter, had a better QB rating. They had over 130 rushing yards. That was more than the Chiefs. They forced more fumbles, and they matched the Chiefs for interceptions. But the 49ers didn't come away with a win. The Chiefs won by 11. Now, obviously, that was padded by the... The, the touchdown they snuck in at the end. But even so, that is a pretty substantial margin. A four-point win compared to a one-point win, as is often the case, is a much bigger gap. So, you have to look at why this game was indicative of how much a passing offense can benefit you as opposed to a rough rushing offense. Because Patrick Mahomes had his lowest pass rating of the season. He, for most of this game, could not get the ball moving at all. But... Mahomes was great on exactly, in my book, exactly three plays. There was the 45-yard pass on third and 15 to Tyreek Hill, which set up the uh, the PI call and then the touchdown to make it 2017. And then there was the 30-yard second and seven to Sammy Watkins, which he threw over Sherman's head. And that was for a go-ahead touchdown a few plays later. And ultimately... That is the difference between a great passing offence and a great rushing offence. Because a great passing offence needs just one thing to go you know, quite right for the offence or a little bit wrong for the defence. And that can burn a team 40 plus yards, maybe even running a touchdown. Whilst even a really well designed running play needs everything to go right. You need every single player to get everything right in order for that to work. Whereas Patrick Mahomes needed... Tyreek to get in some space and his O-line to perform well on one play. And on the next play, he needed Watkins to just breach Sherman off the line really quick at one second of football and the play was pretty much over. And for 95% of this game, Jimmy G and Mahomes were essentially the same player. Not in terms of ability, obviously, but in terms of what they were doing. Because both of them were doing a very good job of enabling their own well-run offences. And that is essentially the fundamental role of a QB. Those three plays were the difference because Jimmy G enabling a run offense isn't likely to bust open, whereas Mahomes enabling his passing offense 
has the potential on every single play to go for a massive gain. And the eagle-eyed among you will have realised that I've mentioned only two plays, but I keep saying three. So, what is the other play that I'm talking about? Well, in the third quarter, on second and five, Mahomes had the ball knocked out of his hands by Nick Bosa, who, by the way, had an amazing game. And what Mahomes did, which is what you'd expect most QBs to do, but what a lot of QBs try to avoid doing, is he, whilst surrounded by nine or ten people who are pretty much double his size and who are all competing for the ball as well, Mahomes went and got the ball back. He threw himself on it. Everyone piled on top of him. It was a high risk play because he could have, you know, with all that weight landing on you, that's high chance of an injury. That's how he did his knee earlier in the season. And this, for me, is the way Mahomes separates himself. Not is not only is he the star and the face of the team, but he is also absolutely willing to put his body on the line. And the reason he's willing to do this, I think because, you know, he's always so polite and straight-talking in interviews that he'll never do deep insights. But the reason I think he does this is because he has such confidence and belief in the system, this passing system that Andy Reid has put around him, that he is willing to do almost anything to make sure that he's not the one to mess it up. So he believes that if he gives it his all and puts himself out and protects the ball as much as he ultimately can... He'll be rewarded. And you saw this attitude show up actually on a few plays, but I think the the diving on the ball was the most, you know, great leadership one. But every time he runs the ball, he's diving, he's sliding, he's trying to truck people, he's diving for pylons. And all these tiny extra yards that he's trying to pick up in each play signals to his team, look at me, I'm your quarterback, and I'm willing to do this, so you better be too. Because if your QB is the one who's willing to, you know, dive on the ball, try and run through someone, try and hurdle someone, try and get that extra few yards, then you have to be willing to go along with him too. And ultimately, if he's willing to do that on one play, then what's to say that later in the drive, a player won't do that for him where that can be the difference? And Tyreek Hill talked about this after the game. He talked about in the fourth quarter, they're down by 10, and he lets his head drop on the side on the sideline. And Mahomes goes over to him and he says... What are you doing? You need to get up. And Tyreek Hill was like, you know, man, we're 10 points down. We've only got seven minutes left. We've, we've basically lost this. And home went, no, 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 no. This, this game is by no means over. With our offense, we can score in 30 seconds, let alone seven minutes. So you pick yourself up. I need everything you've got for the next seven minutes. And that leadership is something that has missed Cam Newton. Remember when he didn't dive on the ball? Aaron Rodgers, another one, very, very talented, but guilty of not putting everything on the line for his team. So, Andy Reid, Chiefs Nations, congratulations, because you have the greatest all-around guy and the all-around QB for the next five to ten years, and that is Super Bowl MVP and well-deserved Patrick Mahomes. So, we've had a look at the Chiefs and confirmed that there's only so much you can do to stop the GOAT, even when you're on top of him for most of the game. Mahomes is going to make some plays. So, given that... A lot of this was about the odd play bursting wide open and the big play changing the game. Are there any criticisms you can have of the 49ers? Well, obviously I have some. I do want to caveat this by saying that I think for the most part, this game was done really well. And losing the Super Bowl attracts a lot of attention and scrutiny from everyone. So Shanahan and Jimmy G have both been sort of, you know, dragged through the ring a bit. And I don't think that's fair. Shanahan was... For the most part, really, really good. He's made a couple of mistakes all fall into one factor to me, but we'll get back to that. And Jimmy G as well. He mostly led a very good game. He's 
Jimmy G as a quarterback is about enabling his weapons around him. So his short yardage passing for this game was very, very good. He got the ball to his weapons very early. And actually, on both the touchdowns and those two passes to Carl Juszczyk that set them up were pinpoint accuracy and put them in the one place that he put, couldn't possibly be stopped. So I think he deserves credit for 49ers being in the position they were leading in the fourth quarter anyway. Shanahan, similarly... The defence played particularly well. They limited Mahomes. Their approach was good in all the right ways, and they stopped the easy yardage. Uh, Mahomes had nine rushes for 29 yards. That's three on average. That's obviously him doing a lot of hard work. And Williams, the running back, had 104 off 17. If you take off the final touchdown, which went for 40 yards, he was 64 off 16, which is, again, they made him do a lot of work. You could actually argue that Robert Sala had a worse game because his play calling put them in some tricky spots. On the big PI for Kelsey, for example, why was Kelsey one-on-one with an outside linebacker? That's not a situation you want to be in near the goal line. And similarly on the, uh, the Sammy Watkins throw that beat Sherman, Sherman was on an outside shade, which means he stood sort of just outside the wide receiver, which indicates that he's expecting help from his safety, which wasn't there. And... You know, Sammy Watkins pretty easily breezed in behind him. And then Sherman's just not fast enough at his age to be able to stop plays like that. So, wasn't all terrible. And for the most part, they coached a very good game. Just the odd situational thing let them down. But, I do want to talk about... We've been talking about big plays and how the Chiefs use them to their advantage. I think big plays were the 49ers' weaknesses in this game. And we knew the Chiefs were going to try and tempt them into making them. But that was that should never have been the 49ers' prerogative, and there were a few situations where their decision-making and their play-calling didn't make sense to me. The first one, which was quite obvious, was at the very end of the second half, they just had, you know, the PI call on Kittle, so he'd been brought back. They had six seconds left on the clock, they had two times out, and they decided to take a knee at the halfway line. And I was sort of like, if you have six seconds, then... Even if you do a really rubbish play, it's not going to lose you any points. So I don't understand why at that point they didn't have a go at something. And I understand that maybe they don't want to put Garoppolo in harm's way or having him throwing picks. Or maybe they didn't think he had the arm to throw it to the end zone from there. But even if that's the case, they could have... What had been a very inventive and progressive offense all day, for it to not even have a go in a game where you need to get as many points as you possibly can doesn't make a lot of sense to me why not the Chiefs for example ran one early in the season where they knew they weren't going to to make the end zone so what they actually did was put their biggest receivers out there quickly bought the goal out got the ball out to Tyreek Hill their receivers blocked really well and Tyreek went like 80 yards to the end zone um and I'm not saying that they they missed a scoring opportunity because they didn't it was a bit of a long shot but I didn't understand why they didn't take any shot whatsoever that confused me so that was the first opportunity they didn't that they passed up for me the second one was in the third quarter. This was, uh, they got to fourth, it was 10 all. They got to fourth and two on the 20 and decided to settle for a field goal. Now, the Chiefs aren't really in the business of kicking field goals. The Chiefs are sort of a touchdown or, or nothing team. So if you're 10-10 and it's a game that's all about, you know, getting as many points as possible and both their play action game and their running game was still working at this point, having a go at it for fourth and two seems like a pretty reasonable decision for me. I, I certainly wouldn't have criticised um, uh, Shanahan for having a go on this one. And you could say, well, you know, he managed to get some points and he got them the lead. But if they'd missed that, we would have been slating them anyway. So fourth and two, 
you're making progress. The team are, should be confident at that point because they're still very much in the game. I would have liked to see Shanahan at this point put his confidence in his offense a bit more and say, guys, you, this is two yards. You can definitely get this. You've been running sweeps all day that are going for two yards. The play-action game's working. I'm going to give you a go. I'm going to keep the best QB in the league off the field. And that would have made so much sense to me. But no, no, no. They decided, let's go 3-0 up and then hopefully it won't come back to haunt us at the end of the game. And I think, think about them going 17-10 up at that point. And then if they pick up the later touchdown as well, that's a two-score difference instead of a 10-point difference. And that that can be the difference between winning or late losing in these big games. And the final one that this one really miffed me. I didn't get this one at all. This was two minutes in two minutes left in the fourth quarter. They're now losing. They need to they need to obviously need to go and score. They're about halfway. They're first and ten. On first and ten, they run a pass play incomplete. On second and ten, they run a pass play incomplete. So on third and ten, the decision was for Jimmy G, who hasn't had to throw deep passes all year, to suddenly try and throw this huge rainbow ball to Emmanuel Sanders, who's essentially just running a fade and is still reasonably well covered, although he had some separation. And I watched this play and I sort of... I remembered Jimmy G throwing that same fade against the Saints and underthrowing it. So it makes sense to me that he put a bit more on and overthrew it because deep balls aren't his speciality. What Jimmy G is good at is enabling the team around him. So it would have been the same situation. You have to keep the ball anyway. Why not? Third and ten. Get the ball to one of your playmakers. Get it to Kittle. Get it to Sanders, who's been running brilliant routes all day. They pick up four, five, maybe even six yards. And then you're on fourth and four instead of having a fourth and ten. I don't understand why... When we knew that the 49ers were good at yards after the catch, short yardage plays and Garoppolo getting the ball out of his hands quickly and being accurate in the short yardage game, why did Shanahan suddenly decide to dial up an end zone shot when they had three timeouts left and two minutes in the game? And I think what this boils down to is one experience, but two, Shanahan not wanting to wanting to not lose the game more than he wanted to win it because I think he felt that if he put it on his play calling or if he took risks, then everyone would point the fingers at him like they did a little bit when Atlanta lost in his offensive play calling in that game. But he should have been able to look at his team, realise what his QB was capable of, realise what the weapons around his QB were capable of and given his team the best chance they had. And the best chance they had was what worked all day was Kittle getting the ball in his hands and making yards? Was Emmanuel Sanders getting the ball in his hands and making yards? Was the run game making yards on its own? Which it, it did all afternoon. The Chiefs at no point managed to completely stuff the run game. There was progress all the time. So on third and 10 in a huge situation, why did they take a risk instead of going back to what they knew was having at least some effect? And I think it does come down to Shanahan and coaching in big situations. And next time around, I hope... I mean, if they get there next time around, but I hope we'll see him take more risks because it may have come across as risk risky, but actually enabling his team to do what they do best is his role as the head coach. So in conclusion, the 49ers were 95% of the time brilliant and would have been worthy Super Bowl winners had they won it. But the difference was Andy Reid and Mahomes enabled themselves to make the big plays, whereas the 49ers... And Carl Shanahan limited their opportunities to do so. And I think in games that are this close, the big play is what will make the difference. And you have to be willing and well prepared when you go for it.
So there it is, my synopsis of Super Bowl 54. It was an excellent game. It was brilliantly coached. There was a lot of decoration and fun trick plays to enjoy. Um, special teams was all very good. There was no sort of busts in that area. All the things that you wanted to go well in order to make sure that the game rested on the important stuff, which was Mahomes and Garoppolo and Shanahan and Andy Reid, went well. So it was a brilliant spectacle. I encourage you to go back and watch it if you haven't seen it all. And it's going to be tough to be topping in the next few years. Fox did a, a very good job of hosting it as well. Even the the halftime stuff and the uh, adverts were entertaining. Speaking of which, let's get on to the mailbag. Because I think the first question here, yes. <laughs> the first question in the mailbag is uh, Shakira or J-Lo? Okay, well, we, I'm assuming you mean as a performer. And we can talk about this. Because they got criticised for this. And... There was two criticisms, one for the lip syncing and there was some complaints about the dancing and And I had a look at the people who were complaining. Uh, I struggle to breathe if I try and go upstairs too quickly. So for Shakira and J-Lo to have what's called a tracking, which is where you have your voice playing underneath you singing. So it's not like they were just lip syncing. They were also singing, but they were just they sort of gave themselves some support. I have absolutely no problem with someone who's dancing for 15 minutes, pretty much non-stop, to have a bit of support on their voice at the same time. And they were both very good dancers. Also, Shakira and J-Lo were 43 and 50. Um, I'm 23 and I sweat if I wear one too many hoodies on my walk to work. So, and also, who was that bloke that was in the uh, the performance? I didn't like him. That was my one complaint. Okay, that's my one complaint. That guy who kept turning up to do some Spanish rapping. I've never seen that man before in my life. I don't know who he is. And I don't think he added anything. Because the two girls between them were... I shouldn't call them girls. The women, Shakira and J-Lo, were absolutely smashing it. But the question is, Shakira or J-Lo? Shakira has more bangers. You know, and I, I also thought she was a tiny bit better in the dancing. Just, you know, if I was a Strictly Come Dancing job. Shakira has, you know, Wacka Wacka, She-Wolf, Wherever Whenever, Hips Don't Lie. I just... J-Lo is good, but Shakira just has more bangers. So, to your, answer your question, Shakira or J-Lo, definitely Shakira. And thanks for the question. Uh, this next question is about the adverts. Yes, Super Bowl halftime ads. This is a big thing. If you don't understand this, it's one of the most expensive um, advertising slots that you can buy to, you know, whatever you want. Because in America, you can pay for advertising slots and advertise literally anything. So, there was apparently a Donald Trump one. We managed to avoid that. But I have watched all the entertaining ones. Uh, special mention to the Josh Jacobs ad for Kia, which where he went back in time to talk to his younger self. I really liked that until I found out it was an advert for a car, and I didn't think that made any sense. I also enjoyed the um, the planters, planters, I don't know if they call it planters or planters ad with um, baby Mr. Peanut. That was cute, and that's now all over Instagram. Still not as good as Baby Yoda, obviously, but entertaining. But for sheer troll factor alone, uh, Tom Brady's Hulu ad was amazing. If you didn't see this, it's on YouTube. He essentially had been, he did a cryptic Instagram post like a week ago where he, it was like him in black and white on Foxborough, on the Foxborough turf. Uh, and it said, you know, times are changing. And then was like, oh, and the American media for a week whilst talking about the Super Bowl were again, even though he wasn't playing, talking about Tom Brady. And Everyone was, you know, oh, is he leaving? What does this mean? Oh, it's all mystical. And then this ad came on and it was Brady talked for like 30 seconds about, you know, how times are changing and things are growing. And then ultimately 
it was revealed to be an advert for how streaming is taking over watching live TV. And the entirety of, you heard the entirety of America just go, right, well, we've just wasted a week of our lives thinking about Tom Brady leaving Foxborough. He even went at the end, as for me, I'm not going anywhere. So I don't know if that actually means he's leaving. There's still some debate around it, but just for a week-long trolling of the American media, my favourite ad has to go to Tom Brady. Thanks for the question. Uh, and final question, what do I think of the NFL awards this year? Ah, okay. So this isn't about the Super Bowl. The NFL has every season a sort of a sequence of awards for best rookie, best offensive rookie, blah, blah, blah. Like they, it's like the Oscars of the NFL. And I agreed with all of them. So uh, Stephon Gilmore won Defensive Player of the Year. He was unbelievable. I think that's fair enough. Uh, Lamar won MVP. I think that's fair enough. Uh, Kyle Amari won, won Offensive Rookie of the Year. Josh Jacobs was the other option, but actually I think in balance, Kyle Amari did more for his team. Uh, Bosa won Defensive Rookie of the Year and then pretty much justified that at his Super Bowl performance, which was brilliant. Uh, John Harbour won uh, Coach of the Year. I, On balance, I agree with that, although I think Mike Vrabel could have had a shout just for how he turned it around in the second half of the season and then into the playoffs. The one I don't love is Michael Thomas won Offensive Player of the Year, and I understand that he had a brilliant record-breaking year, but Michael Thomas is probably the most enabled wide receiver in the NFL in that... The Saints do everything with him and they move him around and they give him all sorts of opportunities to be successful. So he capitalises on those chances very well and I see why the Saints use him because his route running is brilliant. But I'm going to throw up three names who I think did more for their team. Derek Henry, first of all, carried the Titans for the second half of the season. Uh, Christian McCaffrey carried the Panthers for the entire season and I mean literally carried in his case because he had no help. And Russell Wilson made what was a pretty average Seahawks roster, uh, you know, a, a playoff-worthy roster all season long as well. So I would have put all three of them ahead of Michael Thomas, but I understand he had a record-breaking season and it was probably deserved in the end. That is the end of the mailbag, the end of my Super Bowl coverage and end of the NFL season. And therefore, I'm afraid to say it is the end for now of the Fail Mary. I'm going to take a few months off. What's coming up in the NFL schedule? Obviously, the teams all go away and start thinking about next season and what they need to do as an organisation. There's all sorts of different... Basically, we've got all 32 back teams back in and they're all in very different situations in terms of are they rebuilding? Can they afford their players? So this is a very interesting period of like handling the finances and the bureaucracy side of football. And then we head towards draft time, which is after the Super Bowl, my second favourite time of the year because it's so interesting. So I think we will come back around a month before the draft so I can explain exactly what goes on and we can have a talk about what each team might need to do in said draft just because it's just so wonderfully specific and everyone makes a million predictions and they usually get it about 50% right and 50% horribly wrong. So... Also, we have the XFL coming, which is sort of like an NFL B-League for less talented people, but it's got some different rules. So we might look at talking about that at some point as well. You'll have to keep it across your timeline. I will put it out on Twitter and Instagram if we do an XFL episode and when the uh, draft episodes are going to start um, coming out. So thank you very much for your company all season long. It's been an absolute treat to do this in my bedroom 
here in Cambridge. And thank you very much for listening, for your mailbag questions, for adding me on social media and arguing with me. Uh, thanks to Neil McMaster for coming on the show to talk all those weeks ago as well. And, of course, to my producer, Doug, for her help and support all season long. So, one last time, thank you very much for listening. This has been The Fail Mary, and I will see you next time.